In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Welcome to the new JFK show number 154. We've got a special guest tonight. His name is Jerome Corsi. He's a best-selling author, many New York's Times best-selling list um, achievements, and he's also currently the DC reporter for InfoWars. And from what I understand, Larry's going to be on InfoWars, and um, we've got some exciting things as far as JFK comes, as far as JFK goes, coming up on InfoWars. So they have a huge audience, so we want to Take what we know and share it to the world. So, Jerome, come to the show, and um, we're going to turn it over to you. And like you said before, if you have any pictures or anything like that, then let us know. All right, well, we can do that as we go into it. But first of all, let me, um, the, um, I'm the Washington Bureau Chief for InfoWars, and we're setting up a Washington Bureau, uh, which will be a, a major operation. We'll have a studio, we'll have reporters. But as you, um, many of you know, I followed the uh, JFK assassination issue, and I wrote a book on it, um, um, and who really killed JFK. And what I want to do with the InfoWars is begin a series of programs that will let um, various researchers in the uh, JFK community present research. I I joined recently the Oswald Innocence Project. Uh, I'm convinced that Oswald is person seen in the uh, Alton's number six photograph in the doorway. Uh, I've studied that for a long time, and I think that's a real breakthrough. Uh, and you know, it's interested me from the beginning. I mean, I, you know, from the very beginning, I thought the assassination was a. Um, conspiracy from the very day it happened when I, I as a kid I got to know JFK my father was a labor lobbyist and we were very involved in the calling committee hearings and um, I've followed it through as a disinformation I mean the whole you know combining it with Infowars the theme is that government has lied to people for a long time, probably going back to World War One, maybe before. And I, I think we need to awaken America 
uh, to the fact that the Kennedy assassination is one of the uh, keystones to understanding how deeply government is committed to lying to the American people. And uh, research in the well, that Jim Fetzer has done, that Larry has done, that uh, has been done in the Oswald uh, Innocence Campaign. Uh, I'm going to run a series of shows in which we uh, give various of you an opportunity to come on for an hour or more and present your research. And I think our audience, which is you know, one of the largest audiences on the Internet, is going to be deeply interested and will get committed to the idea of what I think we can do as a series of historic shows. And it's going to be based largely on your research, which I think is uh, research that the American people have not had an opportunity to fully appreciate. So let me say that much and we'll get into it. I mean, everyone on this broadcast has done really groundbreaking work, and I'm deeply honored to be included with you because I think uh, things that you brought forward as a group uh, have been eye-opening, and the American people, people need to see it on a much larger scale. So let me say that much, and then let's get into it from there. Well, I think that sounds sensational, Jerry. That's a wonderful plan and a perfect opportunity to use a platform to convey the most accurate cutting-edge research ever on the death of JFK. So this is a wonderful opportunity, which we certainly want to support to our fullest possible extent. Well, and I think, Jim, look, I see this as a series of broadcasts. This is not just going to be one broadcast. This is going to be a series of different broadcasts in which we take the time. Because, you know, the great thing the Internet does is it gives us the opportunity to really take time and to archive shows so that they can be watched on live streaming later on. I mean, I think we can do an historic set of broadcasts And uh, my role, I mean, I've done a lot of research on JFK. I've got some things I want to present in the process. But um, mostly I want to feature the work you've done. So uh, we'll take, you know, a show will be like an hour length. And we'll get things submitted in advance so we've got the visuals ready to go. And we'll take an hour and we'll really go through the issue and give you a chance to explain what your research has demonstrated. So this is a this opportunity for me to hand you the microphone with a very large audience. That's what my intent is. It's perfect, Gary, perfect. Gary, uh, you're muted. Gary, you unmute. Yeah, Larry Rivera is gonna blow you away with his research. I consider Larry Rivera the number one JFK researcher in the world today as far as actively doing it on a day-to-day basis. Now, Dr. Fetzer's got four books. We're not taking away anything from him. Uh, Don Fox is a formidable ally we have here. So um, I would love to contribute um, my research to an InfoWars segment. It'd be um, almost a dream come true. Uh, You're all going to get a chance. Now, Larry, uh, I've studied your research for years, and um, we've never met. We've never really talked. But uh, your your measurements, your you know, your really uh, the the gifts you've done, the really technical analysis you've done of Oswald and the doorway have convinced me quite a long time ago 
And uh, I think we need to show that to the American people. Uh, also, I, I've also been very impressed with the groundbreaking research you did on Billy Lovelady. Until I read your work, I had no idea Billy Lovelady's you know, questionable history of the military and his you know, really criminal past, which I think is a very, very important eye-opening issue the American people have no idea of. I, I, uh, the uh, Lovelady uh, situation, not only Lovelady, but the multiple Patsy scenario uh, gives you an idea of the magnitude of, of this operation, Jerry. This is, it's, it just boggles the mind when you, uh, when you analyze how all of these different Patsies were brought into position. And it just so happens that they're all in the doorway, all of them. You know, and that's what's so amazing. And, uh, and, and, you know, obviously they had, you know, their backups, uh, you know, Patsy's and everything in, in place. You know, for example, Bill Wesley Frazier, the first rifle that was found was in Enfield. And that's exactly what they found at his house. You know, he disappears for six hours that day. You know, it's just incredible. You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of things. Well, and, and I got to meet him at one of the meetings, one of the, in D.C., he gave some presentations, and I got to meet him, and I thought he was always a very weak kind of personality. Uh, but the research you did, I mean, you know, finding, um, you know, the hours in which he just disappeared, and then the the fact that the Dallas police come and knock on his door, bring him back and interrogate him the way they interrogated him, offer him a confession. I mean, I thought it was startling when you found they offered him a confession. Well, yeah, and, and he even talks about that at the, on the, at the Sixth Floor Museum in that video on, on July th- uh, 2013. He, he says it. He turns, or he turns the interview around with Stephen Fagan, and he, he starts to reveal a lot of different layers of information that had never been revealed before. You know, I, one of the most incredible and most important interviews ever, you know, where Bill Wesley Frazier, you know, talks about all these things. In fact, he says... There is no way that Lee Oswald, you know, could have been the assassin, you know. And uh, so, you know, and, 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 you know, the fact that they, they, uh, sent him, they, they drafted him uh, into the Army right at the, uh, at the height of the Vietnam War, you know, and they hid him away. They put him away completely, you know, and they dangled him, you know, and then they brought him back, you know, and then, and then he reenlisted, you know. It's quite a story, you know. Uh, I, I did a FOIA request, you know, for his Army records, and it's all in there, <laughs> Well, and, and that's incredibly important research. I mean, the, you know, the, the fact that he came in, they offered him a confession, the things you've demonstrated. I mean, he was clearly, you know, a potential patsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Same, the same with Gorilla Man. I mean, you know, when you take a look at the, um, you know, the, the Martin, Martin film, and you've got another guy, got three guys who look almost identical, Oswald, Lovelady, you know, this gorilla guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for years, all the photographs and all the work that had been done, I mean, even with the um, pack of cigarettes in the pocket, yes. that clearly Lovelady smoked and was not in the, yeah. uh, you know, the photographs that were subsequently taken when Lovelady says, oh, this is the shirt, you know, that it, it's clearly not the shirt. It's clearly not the same man. This, yes, it's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And, I mean, who is this guy? And what's he doing there? I mean, we still don't yeah. know. Yeah, another, I know, another double. An- another 
uh, uh, doppelganger there. <laughs> you, know? yeah, exactly. you got three of them. And, you know, I, and I think, but Larry, your analyses, when you did the measurements, when you really did the, you know, detailed photographic analysis um, is so important. Uh, and, and yes, and the shirt, you know, that Lovelady, they said, come in and show us the shirt you were wearing the day of the assassination. And he brings in this red and white striped shirt. And then in one of the photographs we've seen subsequently, you see him and what's his name, Shirley, walking uh, around the building just as they gave testimony they did. And suddenly Oswald's testimony from years was transcribed when he was interrogated, and he says he was standing in front of the building. Mm-hmm. With Bill Shelley. Yeah. And, and largely, I think everything Oswald told the police was true. I mean, look at these, look at these, what's on the screen right now. I mean, the hairlines, the analysis of the, the facial features, the, the weight of the two men, uh, the, the shirt that's open. And, you know, this is a, um, I think these are really convincing demonstrations and, and arguments that, you know, open up the, once, once people see it, uh, it, you know, you've got the Wigman film, which also shows the shirt open. You've got the Hughes film in which this door, the doorman can be seen. Uh, that, that's the Wigman film. You know, again, it's very convincing in the work you've done um, that Billy Lovelady is not the figure in the door. And this is, you know, from the day after the assassination when the Alchin 6 photograph was published worldwide, it was clear, except for the disinformation campaign the government ran, that Oswald was in the doorway. He could not have been the shooter. Well, uh, I would like to ask Gary if he could, if he can right now to go to to my blog so we can uh, look at uh, that uh, GIF that you were talking about right now. Uh, Because I think that's compelling evidence uh, that has ever been uh, put out there about uh, the identity of doorman. You know, when uh, at, at the beginning uh, I was criticized a little bit because I used a flipped image, but then later on when I did a study of, of uh, a detailed study of the of the uh, symmetrical properties of both Billy Lovelady's and Lee Oswald's faces, uh, then I was able to establish that I, I, it was okay for. To use a flipped image, yes, Larry, we lost you temporarily. Go ahead. To use a, a flipped image of Lee Oswald, which offered that same perspective as Dorman. So when uh, when I started to work with that and to uh, uh, I started to use a little tint on the on the overlay because uh, Judy Baker had suggested that this was the best way uh, for the person looking at the GIF at the animation. Uh, to see the differences between one and the other. So I thought that was very, very important. And if Derek can put that up now, have it, where's Derek? Uh, he's not there. But anyway. Can you send it to me? Can you email it to me real quick? I just sent a, a, a chat. It's in chat. It's in chat, Gary. Okay. See, Larry, I, I want to get you a show. Um, you know, we, we talked about this. And um, you know, Jim Fetz and I went back and forth on this. Ralph uh, has, you, got different, you know, Ralph's analysis is more on the 
um, the shirt. He's a chiropractor. He's got a different perspective than you do. Uh, I want to give you your own hour where you can present your evidence, which is, you know, I think deepens the analysis that Ralph does. And so I don't want to combine the two of you because I don't want the two of you kind of competing. Let Ralph present his views, which have a certain merit. They're going to appeal to a certain number of people who see the, you know, the visual he's presenting. But then I want you to come in with much more analytic material and present that as an hour where you're not interrupted and you get to present it the way you want to present it. That's my goal. And I think that it's what's key is that what the work that I that I have done on the overlays and the men in the doorway is completely replicable. Uh, the the instructions and everything you know it's been written up. We've been we published it, uh, and since we did that a couple of years ago and and refined it later on, nobody nobody has ever come forth and said, "Hey, you know, I followed that methodology, and here are my results. They're different from yours." Okay? Nobody, not a single person. So. I guess it's something that, uh, you know, needs to be pointed out. Well, I mean, you, you, I think your analysis is conclusive. I don't think there is a rebuttal to it. And, um, you know, I, I mean, this is the key point. And, you know, while your research is on the Internet and on your blog, when we bring it on to Alex Jones and we get millions of people looking at this, you know, that's when you're going to have it. We'll, we'll – Work on these shows in advance so you can get the our producers. You know, these are the things I want to show. We can have, you know, in an hour, we can really analyze eight or ten images. And if you select the ones you really want to focus on, then we'll, we'll frame the show around showing those images and allowing you to explain to the audience what your analysis is. You, you may be underestimating the number of images it can be covered, Jerry, because uh, we do this all the time. And, you know, Ralph, I think, is going to need about two dozen in order to set it up. I've given him some suggestions to go from the big picture, you know, the Algen 6 to the part of the Algen 6 to focusing on that part and then going from there and comparing the two candidates, Billy Lovelady and Lee Oswald, in terms of their height, their weight, their build, their shirt, the T-shirt. Uh, Billy himself said he thought it was odd they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter, 15 to 20 pounds heavier. And, of course, as you observed, was wearing a short sleeve, red and white, vertically striped shirt, which he even showed to the FBI, which they photographed, sent a report to J. Edgar, saying this is the shirt he was wearing in the doorway, which confirms that he was the, in the doorway, right. hoping Edgar wouldn't notice the difference between the guy who was the real object of interest who had this long, richly textured shirt, was taller and thinner than Billy, and apparently didn't because they didn't wind up being sent off to Alaska. Well, you know, I mean, look, our producers are very good so that if you had whatever number of pictures you want to show – even while you're talking, they can show pictures on the screen. Yeah. And they can, you know, so you're giving a narrative, just like we're doing right now, and they put the pictures up. And we can kind of choreograph that in advance so the producers know essentially what the narrative is going to be, and they can be prepared to show the various images when appropriate. 
Perfect. You know, and the, the nice thing about the internet is that, you know, the fact is we could, if we don't get it in one show, we'll do two shows. You know, I mean, there's not, there's no limit to what we can do to cover this, uh, to get the, uh, story told. Uh, the, the point is to make it clear to the American people, uh, that the government has been lying and intended to lie from the day the assassination happened. Uh, if that's the case, I mean, I've been going back to, you know, even World War One with Creel and Bernays and all the other lies that have been told. I go back to the Civil War and, and the government lying constantly and disinformation. Once people see and catch on that, you know, and, and the Oswald thing in the doorway, I think, is a very important piece when, the, when that marble goes through the bottom of the hole, and the, the goes through the bottom of the, the bowl down the hole, people say, well, what else has government lied to me about? And uh, that's the whole point. That's the whole reason I've joined Alex Jones. And look forward to, you know, creating a Washington bureau. Because we are in an info, info wars. This is an information war battle. And uh, the government, the CIA, has been winning, and we got to turn that tide. Uh, well, this is a sensational development, Jerry. We're with you 100%, and I'm simply delighted with everything you've been sketching here. Sounds to me entirely right, very appropriate. We're talking here about the darkest secret the government has sought to conceal from the American people in relation to the assassination of JFK. So it's wonderful to get such a stunning piece of proof about government duplicity out to the American people through a forum such as this. Well, and Jim, I want you to present your research. I want you to show, I mean, I, 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 I can't wait to read your new book. And I've ordered it and, you know, we and I have talked. Uh, I, I think you're exactly right at the four shots that hit Kennedy and where they came from. And, um, I want you to have the opportunity to lay out that analysis and to explain to people the alterations that were done in the Zapruder film, the missing frames. Um, I, I, I think these are you know, really important for people to understand that the government altered the evidence and that the, you know, the photographic record and the intensive work uh, you, you gentlemen have done over decades uh, has largely been recorded in the JFK community, but not brought forward in a forum where millions of Americans are going to pay attention to it. Now, when we run these shows, you're going to have millions of people seeing it. And, you know, that's the impact I want to make. I want to, uh, and, and it has to do with me giving you the microphone. So we organize these shows. When I get you together with the producers, and I'll be back in um, Austin right after the um, 4th of July, we'll be starting to put these things together the first week after the 4th of July. Um, I want you to feel free to get to the to Nico, who's the key producer, and the others, the graphics, the visuals you want shown. It's going to be your show. It's not going to be my show. I'm going to be handing in the microphone and say, explain the research you've done. Show it to the American people. 
explain why it's convinced you and why it should convince them. And I'm not sure that's been done before. No, certainly not through the mass media, Jerry. This is a wonderful opportunity to exploit. I'm 100% on board. Yeah. I mean, the mass media and all the documentaries that are put together, you know, get you and they give you, they come and film you for an hour and a half, and then they use two seconds of what you said out of context. And they don't bother reading the six or seven books you, know, you guys have written each or trying to figure it out. You know, they're, they're not that interested. They weren't deeply involved by it. I think all of us were deeply touched by it and it affected our lives. And what you guys have done is produced a body of research that has largely gone ignored by the mass of America. And I want to say you got to pay attention to this because, you know, this analysis, once this door is opened, you're going to see that government lies. And, you know, it's, I'm in Washington, D.C. tonight as a reporter. I've been doing this now for, you know, going over 12 years. My first presumption is that whatever anybody tells me in Washington, they're lying. <laughs> That's the first presumption I make. And then the second presumption is, well, why are they lying? And, you know, what were they, what do they really don't want you to know? And um, there's been over 50 years of research done on the Kennedy assassination, and only experts know it today. And the, American, the mainstream media is not going to present this to the American people ever. No. But the InfoWars audience has a huge impact and it's open to the idea that, you know, the government lying is pervasive. Uh, So I think we've got a a real opportunity here to reframe what is one of the greatest tragedies and crimes in American history. What's changed history. Yeah, changed history. We would not have gone to Vietnam. We would have had a a fundamentally different war with the Soviet Union. Kennedy was on a whole different track. Mm -hmm. Kennedy had come around to seeing that these globalist forces, what globalism was, what militarism was. Um, Kennedy had been in Vietnam in in 1950. Yeah, he he knew the CIA was running drugs. He knew it was corrupt. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I knew Kennedy, 14, 15 years old, and Kennedy was not a perfect person. I mean, he had plenty of flaws, but he truly understood the military was lying to him. And certainly in the Cuban Missile Crisis, he came to be aware of how deeply they would lie to him and try to convince him to engage in military action. LeMay and the others would have been happy to have a little mini nuclear war. Well, Eisenhower warned us, didn't he? He did, but you know, Eisenhower also, I mean, I knew, I knew Edward Bernays and going back to the Guatemala and, and all the Howard Hunt and everything else that was done going back to Guatemala and creating that coup. Uh, Eisenhower wasn't above lying and getting co-opted by the 
<clears throat> intelligence agencies. I mean, Dulles is one of the darkest figures in American history. And, um, you know, the, the problem is you're not going to get people to understand these issues until they wake up. And what wakes them up is the is physical evidence that you guys have produced. I mean, Larry, you look at your gifts and you look at the analysis you've done, measurements, and, you know, you come away from that, and, you know, what are you going to say? It's convincing. Empirical average, evidence. It's, yeah, average. And, and Jim has done the same. I mean, in Jim's research, you know, with the missing cranes, and with the analysis of the various shots that hit Kennedy, um, the analysis of, you know, even the reports that this sounded like firecrackers, and that's the way a bullet sounds piercing glass. Mm-hmm. So the first shot, I mean, you know, Tosh Plumley, who, who who's done great research. There's many, many people here who have added, added their pieces into it. And um, I don't have any hesitation to do programs over a couple of years if that's what it takes us. My goal is to um, tell the American people, you, you've got to look at this research. Because there are things here you can't dismiss. Yeah, Mr. Corsi, uh, I'm dying to ask you a question. Um, are you familiar with the idea that Jack Ruby did not shoot Lee Oswald? Yeah, you know, at first I looked at that and I said, "This, how am I going to get my head around this one? You know what, what did it for me was when Ralph produced those pictures of uh, Ruby in the, you know, the with the mug shots, basically, where you saw that his socks were black and the clothes he were wearing, he was wearing light-colored beige pants. And you look at the pictures of all the shooting, the guy is wearing light-colored socks and a suit with black pants. Now, I mean, you know, and, and Ralph goes on. I mean, they, they didn't bring in new laundry for this guy. <laughs> you know, He's a prisoner. They took a picture of him. In the clothes that they they captured a bit, so that yeah, was how about that yeah, was how about them, order for me. Yeah, how about them throwing a black, a sack over his head and dragging him into a police office in the police room? <laughs> yeah, well, and and then I, then the next eye opener for me was when I realized that Ruby had no recollection of firing any shots. Yeah. And even in his um, trials, the attorneys were bringing forward that, you know, where is the real evidence that he fired the shots? So, you know, at first I thought, you know, now Ralph's really gone off the deep end. You know, we really have to look at this thing. And then as again, the photographic evidence was you can't get past the photographic evidence. The guy who shot Oswald was wearing dark socks. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I haven't seen that that sock uh, uh, clothing comparison myself yet. I, I agree. Uh, what Jerry describes is completely convincing, very powerful proof that it wasn't uh, it wasn't Jack in the clothing he was uh, wearing at the time who shot Lee Oswald. 
I just want to I just want to say something because this is a very interesting story that we're talking about here. This uh, investigation was done by people, actually some people overseas, okay, who helped out, you know, and those of us who were collaborating. And uh, it was incredible. Every day we would get new information and new images and new overlays, you know, and little by little we started to put this all together. Ralph, especially, I mean, Ralph, you know, he's, uh, he's the man on that one. But I did a particular overlay of the man that's shown with the two police uh, detectives on each side. He's without his, right. his suit coat, without his tie. Right. I, that's not Jack Ruby. <laughs> okay, that is not. I mean, I mean, I, I it, it was all. I mean, it, conclusive. And when I did the book out overlay, it was maybe about ninety percent. But it, you know, a lot, a lot, you know, more, more of a positive identification for book out than than Jack Ruby. I mean, the nose, everything was completely disjointed. So I think Ralph has did a tremendous. Uh, yeah, Ralph is here. So hang on, Larry. Uh, we'll continue there in just one second. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with the new JFK show, number 154, with Jerome Corsi. And it looks like we're going into the big leagues, boys. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Are you tired of being lied to by the fake news media? Then tune in to Battle of New Orleans Radio Show Wednesday 7 to 9 on 990 AM WGSO. To listen outside of New Orleans, go to WGSO.com or Battle Nola Radio YouTube channel. The hardest hitting AM broadcast in the country, home of the First Amendment. Battle of New Orleans Radio. All right, welcome back to the new JFK show number 154. We hope you do go to Patriot Radio Books, our Moonrock Books. And order Jim's book and Larry Rivera's book is on the way, so might as well get on the waiting list for that. All right, we're gonna. We were talking about the uh, insane idea that Jack Ruby didn't really shoot Lee Oswald after all. And um, go ahead, Larry. You were um, you were making some great points about that. No, no. Another thing uh, about the collar, you know, the the neck, the neckline, you know, behind the collar. I mean, so many different uh, areas, you know, that, that uh, Ralph has identified as not being Jack Ruby. You know, it's been tremendous, tremendous work. And it's been, like I said, ongoing for months. Yeah, but look at, look at this photograph right here on the screen. Could we go back to that one, the okay. previous one? I mean, take a look at the socks that this guy is wearing. You know, that, that photograph right there, pull, pull that one up. Which one? The, the, well, where the, you can see the sock, right? Top left, top left. Right here. Yeah, there, yeah. pull it up. Pull that one up. 
Open it up. And that's it. Open that one up full. Okay. That one actually is full screen. Let me see okay, if I well, The guy's got whites. He's got light socks. There we go. Yeah, good. There Very good. Good, good. Okay, he's got light pulled down a little bit, so we a little bit more. He's got light socks on. Look at those. Those socks are light. Yep. <laughs> now go to the picture of of Ruby in the mug shots where they're showing him, you know, in his uh, the clothes that he he's got khaki pants on. He's got dark socks. And oh, you know. Right away, the critics started to say, oh, you know, he could have changed socks. You know, somebody brought him Oh, yeah, back. right. I mean, you know, they said, Jack, you know, we just arrested you. We didn't know you were going to shoot Ruby. We got to change of clothes here for you. Would you mind? You know, we want you to be comfortable. You want to put on your khaki pants and your different. We want to change your socks, you know? These, these aren't what we want, actually. What are we looking for? We're looking for a Jack Ruby clothed when he was arrested to see that he has on dark socks and a light suit instead of light socks and a dark suit. You can go to Ralph's blog. Ralph's got yeah, it's I mean, yeah, it's on Ralph's blog. Yeah, you know, and Ralph writes a whole piece about it. Ralph says, you know, Ralph even went into you know the laundry and how they did laundry in the jail and all the rest of it. I mean. You know, you're not going to rest. You don't know this guy's going to shoot Oswald. So you don't have a, a spare set of clothes around for him. He didn't come into the – didn't walk down the ramp and say, uh, would you mind holding these spare clothes? I want to change just after I get arrested because I'm going to kill Oswald. <laughs> yeah, but Jerry, Jerry, did they really shoot Oswald at well, that time? That's the other question. I mean, all the pictures. No blood, you know, that heavy sweater and everything, you know. Where's the blood? Nothing. Not a speck. The guy, Oswald falls on the ground. He's supposed to have been shot. You know, the yeah. below his heart. There's, there's no I blood. agree about changing him into the dark sweater so we couldn't see where he was shot, but his reaction certainly seemed to me to be an authentic reaction as someone who'd just been shot. I, I don't see how that could have been faked. Yeah, I mean, it, it's okay. We don't look, first of all, it, it's not that picture. I mean, that's not the one. That's a little bit later on when Ralph's got a picture of him immediately after he's photographed um, uh, coming into, you know, being incarcerated. How to find it. Yeah, you'll find it. I mean, the point is that, look, okay, I mean, okay, we're dealing with government de- deception. We're dealing with disinformation. So they tell, I mean, look, Oswald walks out of that. And, and he looks over to his left, and he sees somebody. I don't know who he sees, but he looks at somebody. Remember, see that, those few frames where he looks like he's recognizing somebody? And this guy dashes out, and he, sh- and he and does the shooting and all the rest of it. So they tell Oswald, look, you know, um, we're going to help you get out of this thing. And it's going to look like you were killed. So just, you know, act like you were shot. <laughs> And then we'll take care of you. Here. I always thought that was possibility. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how anyone knows how to act like they've been yeah. shot. Well, you, actually, you, nobody, you, the gun goes off, you scream, and you... Well, but, but he had physical reactions, Jerry. You know, it looked to me like he was bona fidely shot and not by Jack Ruby. I agree with that. Maybe he was shot. I mean, I don't know when he was shot. That's another maybe it was a rubber bullet. 
No, but I also I agree. What if they told him, Lee, we're gonna? We know it was a stage production, so he said, Lee, you're gonna be sipping my ties in Tahiti. You just have to act like that you've been shot. You won't be because there was no blood, if you remember that from Ralph's work. And then we're gonna let you go. And then they double crossed him. I've always thought that was a possibility. Well, and you know, I, I still want to know who Oswald was looking over and kind of giving the winky wink to. You know, these well, songs. No one, no one interviewed Lee Oswald more than uh, it was James Bookout. Okay, now only Will Fritz interviewed him more than James Bookout. So I believe he was looking at James Bookout. Yeah, and so then we find out that Will Fritz has got CIA connections and has been tied to the CIA for a long time. And he comes out and says, we've got the guy, and this is this, we know that this is the guy who did it, and the case is closed. No, but then they bring Oswald in front of the lineup, and, and they say to him, you know, said, nobody's charged me of killing the president. And somebody in the background says, yes, you've been charged. And the disgusted look in Oswald's face was like, you know, what are they going to do to me next? How can he be charged and Oswald not know it? Yeah, I mean... But this thing about uh, Will Fritz tied to the CIA, that's news to me, Jerry. That's extremely interesting. Oh, yeah, there's a whole whole narrative on that. You know, the entire Dallas Police Department has CIA in ties and infiltration. The mayor of the city who's tied into one of the top officials in the CIA. Sure, Charles Campbell. Brother, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a coincidence that is, you know. I mean, isn't every mayor of every city tied into the CIA? Well, you know, it's interesting that it was also Will Fritz who went into uh, Wesley Frazier, you know, at 10-something, 10.30 p.m. that Friday night and tried to make him sign a confession. You know, and, and Frazier said, no, I'm not going to sign that. And he, Frazier describes a scene where they were almost going to go to blows, you know, and Fritz yanked the uh, piece of paper and the pen away from him and stormed out of there all red faced and everything. So uh, Fritz, you know, was up. Oh, oh, and there was also meeting that Penn Jones uh, writes about and forgive my, my grief, where Decker, Sheriff Decker, being at the sheriff's uh, building there in, in Neely Plaza, and well, Fritz had to talk, and they actually walked between one place and the other because this is a, this was a conversation that they would not have over the phone, okay? And this is this was you know at the time where they had already arrested Oswald, maybe like six p.m. on the Friday night, you know, or something like that. And you know everything was fluid, and everything was you know going back and forth, you know. So Fritz, uh, and plus at the end of his life, he he uh, lived in a uh, penthouse in a hotel downtown. And he wouldn't talk about the assassination or give Greg Grant interviews to anybody. So that's uh, Will Fritz. You know, I mean, I think these things, you know, the um, the part about the Ruby, if, maybe if you um, Google um, Jack Ruby arrest photos, yeah. you find it, it says Jack Ruby arrested. No, Jack, arrested, Jack Ruby arrest photos. photos. Arrest photos. I think you'll find it Um, because that's where let's see if we find him down any further go down a little bit Um, let 
No, no. Maybe he'd be going out of their way to obfuscate what he was wearing. Yeah, I mean, Google's not going to be reliable. Google's going to bury mm -hmm. these things, so you have to find them. I mean, Google's not going to go out of its way to show you the right pictures. Yeah, it's elusive. We used to, we've never had this much trouble. Oh, here it is. Is this it? Yeah, that's it. Pull uh, that one up. That's, yeah. Look at He's got dark socks on. <laughs> look at his right leg. He's wearing white pants. Now, where to get the white pants? You know where to get the where to get the uh, you know the, uh, the shirt that he's wearing. Isn't that, isn't that prison uh, garb? Yeah, that's what they issue. These are the clothes he said. Now I'm going to bring these clothes in, so when you photograph me, I want to be comfortable. You know, I want to get out of that damn suit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it looks tight on him. Yeah, you know where's the where's the suit he was wearing? How would they get these clothes for him? No, and, and Jerry, the thing about the dog, you know. If he was going to shoot, uh, well, then why did he leave his dog in, in the car? Yeah, I mean, obviously he, you know, they waited for him to get down there because they delayed. Well, Batsor brought him in through the back, uh, through the uh, stairway. Uh, yeah. Larry Harris did a complete investigation on that. So they get him down there and they say, okay, now we're ready to go. Bring him out. And Jack, said, you go back to what Ruby said, and Ralph did a good job with this too. He said, First thing I remember, I'm down there, and then the police are jumping on me. He said, I don't remember shooting anybody. He never did remember shooting anybody. I think one of, one of Ralph's best points was that was the scrum after. It looked like a rub, rugby scrum, if you watched yeah. that. <laughs> it did. I mean, it looked like everybody had their roles. Everybody had their you know, routines down as to what they were going to do. And none of the photographs, I mean, you don't have a single photograph which gives a clear visual. There's no way to clearly identify this guy except that that suit he's got on, you know, and the dark socks aren't what, what Jack Ruby was wearing and the pictures taken a few hours later is his mugshot. Mm -hmm. And it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. That, that, to me, was the one that I said, okay, now I'm going to take a harder look at this. and I'm going to really think about it because um, it, it doesn't fit together. And these are the things that, as you know, an investigative journalist, uh, there, there's one other principle that since I was a kid, okay, there's another picture of Jack Ruby. You just had it there where he, I mean, all these pictures of him, mug shots, He's wearing this white shirt. Where'd he get this white shirt? You know, where'd that come from? You know, this whole deal, and these are not the clothes. That shirt does not look to me like it's a dress collar shirt. That looks like it's, uh, you know. Collar in, in, in jail. That collar does not come together like a dress collar shirt that you put a tie on. It doesn't. Clothes are totally different. The, the point I was going to make is that as an investigative journalist, what I do, and I'm, you know, to begin with the presumption that everybody in Washington is lying to me, if you want to find out what happened in an incident, the information you get immediately after the incident is probably the most reliable information you get. Because the people who say what they saw and that when they were there, First impression. Haven't had time to start lying. 
They haven't been programmed to lie. They haven't had time to do it. So, you know, the first impressions, they, they bring Jack Kennedy to Parkland, and every doctor that was there says entry wound in the throat, back of the I mean, you got all these people with the back of the head blown out, back of the head blown out. I don't think there was anybody who didn't see the back of the head blown out. Okay, and that's that's the first evidence that comes out. So I start saying that's the most reliable because they have an alternate. They find a rifle in the sixth floor. What do they say? Say it's a, a Mauser. Yep. Well, the guy who identifies it has owned a sporting goods store. He knows a Mauser. It's stamped right on there. It says Mauser. You know, yeah, you got magically changed from a Mulder to a Carcano within what a couple hours? Yeah, I, they're all the broadcasts. I mean, you got you know Walter Cronkite and everybody else going said the rifle was the Mauser, German-made Mauser. You know, they're given the caliber. Calibers are different. You know, I mean, you know, these are guys who fought in World War II. They they know how to look at a rifle and know what it is. Roger Craig. Roger Craig saw it. Roger Craig. Craig's standing there, and he's saying they pulled out a Mauser, and the guy who identified it with, I can't remember his name exactly at the moment, but he he owned a sporting goods store. Seymour Weeks, a Weitzman. Weitzman. And he says, it's a Mauser. And they bring it out, they tell all the news media it's a Mauser. Now, within a, within a, a couple hours, it changes. It's a it's a Mandelker Carcano. Well, what happened to the Mauser? Yeah, but before it was a Mauser, it was an Enfield. Yeah, then it was at first. It was then an Enfield. It was a Mauser. And then it was a Mauser. The Enfield was what they brought off the roof. Remember, you can see that in the that little Dallas. Another thing uh, I wanted to mention was the uh, th- the hole in the throat, which was an entry wound described by all the uh, Parkland doctors as well, not just the uh, hole in the back of the head. Yeah, well, the entry room, and look, these are doctors who, and the physicians, Parkland Hospital, 1963, wasn't some, you know, back-of-the-road hospital. This was a top, top hospital. It was a world-renowned hospital. One of the, the guy who was doing, put it on the autopsy, was one of the world-renowned in his ability to do autopsies. These doctors, you know, knew what they were looking at. You know, you're not going to have the entire medical team coming in and saying they didn't see a penetration wound, which was an entry wound. And they did this tracheotomy to open up the breathing. And by the time they're finished with it, they get the autopsy figure, the thing's two or three inches long. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's even a lousy tracheotomy cut. Mm-hmm. They don't cut your whole neck across when they're doing a tracheotomy. These are world-class doctors. And, and Malcolm Perry did a perfect trache- tracheotomy. It's completely as described in, in many, many, uh, many books and literature. Yeah, and so you start out there and you say that the, the first doctors you saw, incredible doctors, no reason to lie. You've got um, you know, the first press conference that was done talking about the wound coming, you know, from the right-hand forehand. You've got the, you know, what's his name, the press secretary pointing out, saying right-hand, all these things, 
where the, the original evidence was front entry wounds. Okay, and uh, and I think Jim is right. I think Jim Fetzer's right that uh, the almost simultaneous hit from the back uh, and then through the wound of the right forehead from up up close to the end of the picket fence wound entry and threw him back violently to the left. Uh, the photographic evidence, I think, is what makes this case. <clears throat> but the photographic evidence has required 50 years of detailed analysis you guys have done. What little photographic evidence was left? Yeah, but you've done brilliant work with it and really... I know, with what they left us, but I, my point is that the FBI was camped out at every... Uh, photo There's the Enfield right there. That's the Enfield that they brought down from the first. That was the first rifle they found right there. What happened to it? It disappears too. This is the DCI photograph that was done. There's Walter Cronkite. This is one Walter Cronkite. Hey, yeah, about. I'm going to go ahead and play that for just one second. Sure, go ahead. Just one. Just one second, I'll edit this out. I'm going to go ahead and increase the That was the most trusted man in America. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, 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 hang tight. Here we go. saying as a kid I'm watching this I'm saying you know what happened to the Mauser (laughs) what all these guys you know World War II guys I mean I I was raised by the World War II guys they knew weapons they they knew weapons they reported for two days it was a Mauser it wasn't just the afternoon it was two solid days yeah and I mean these guys you know they've been the guys who fought in, in Europe the best thing they, you know, things they wanted, they wanted to bring back a Luger. They wanted to bring back a Mauser if they could, yeah. and they wanted to bring back a sword. You know, I mean, they these guys knew what they were looking for, and a World War II guy who'd been through Germany. I mean, you you think the 
you know, you think the 101 Screaming Eagles didn't know weapons? I mean, you know, you gotta give me, you gotta give me a break. I can imagine today that, you know, millennials don't know weapons. Okay. I can accept that. They could, but these guys, like my dad, my dad tell you what a weapon was, you know, looking at it from 20 feet away. And not to mention it was stamped on the barrel. You could, if you could read, you could tell. You know, and so you go back to the principle of the first evidence and the first evidence was that they found a Mauser. Luke, you know, Luke, Mooney. Luke, Luke Mooney was the other guy that uh, saw that Mauser up there. Luke yes, Mooney. that's right. There was, and uh, I, I thought uh, John Craig's testimony on it, the videos that John Craig did were very persuasive. Over, right. um, and he was regarded, well regarded by the Dallas police at the time. He'd been like policeman of the year. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And suddenly he's a dodo, you know. We, we don't agree with him anymore. He's kind of yeah. wet. And they're shooting at him. Yeah, and I mean, putting you know. Bombs, putting bombs in his car. Yeah. Well, they ultimately killed him. <laughs> you know, he was ultimately killed in a very suspicious, you know, kind of. And, and he was reporting. He actually wrote a little book. I pulled it down off the Internet and had it where he was talking about all this. He he basically felt he was, you know, in the process of being hounded and killed. It's a very compelling manuscript, uh, the one that you mentioned, you know. Very yeah. I've read it, and it's, wow, incredible. But, like, to go back to Jim Petzer's work, I mean, you know, Jim, you talk about the shooter on the um, records building. And, you know, I've started, I think there's an image of that shooter in this shooter film. We talked about that. Um, but the point is, they found a cartridge up there. I mean, you can talk about that, Jim. They no, they found a cartridge and also this plastic collar called a sabo that was used to fire a Mandlicker Carcano bullet, which is of a smaller caliber from a .30-06 to implant it into the body. This may be part of the reason they had to switch the weapon from the Mauser to the Carcano because they'd already implanted a a Carcano bullet in the body. Well, they'd also framed Oswald by ordering that rifle. There's no evidence that Oswald right. ever Right. Up. He could have obtained a superior weapon on a street corner in Dallas without even showing any ID. So yeah, they went out of their way to fabricate a paper trail to implicate him with this particular odd caliber World War II Italian rifle known as the humanitarian rifle for never harming anyone on purpose. Well, I mean, you know, okay, look, you're going to plan to kill the president. You're going to buy a weapon that costs, you know, under $35, under $20. And say, no, no, I don't want to get a used mouse or a used M1. How about an M1? Say, no, I'm not going to go for a a mad look at Carcano because I want extra points when I do it. You know, this is, I want to score big in the arcade. I'm going to go for the lousy rifle with the big shot. We know what he does that. You pick the best rifle you can get. And there were M1s being sold. There were Mausers being sold. You know, the FBI looks at this thing. They said the scope is misaligned. The thing does was basically the clip wasn't functioning in the rifle he had. I mean, I'm not sure that rifle could fire. To ask Jesse Ventura. Yeah, Jesse Ventura did excellent work on that. Who's going to take... Who's going to take a bolt-action rifle 
which requires manual operation, when you can have a Mauser, which is, you know, an automatic weapon, which is going to load each, you can, all you have to do is pull the trigger each time. And who's going to take at that distance? Anybody who knows weapons, why are you going to look through a scope? <laughs> it's, it's harder to figure out where the target is looking through the scope. In. And you have to, and you have to, why wouldn't you shoot him on history? Shoot, pardon me? Yeah, and why wouldn't you shoot him on Houston coming towards the building? Why would you wait for him to make the turn? Yeah, that's another whole good As challenge. long as you had your 50 cents on you so you could take some public transit away from the assassination after using your bolt-action rifle. Yeah, right. You're going to get extra points on the, you know, among, you know. Look, I think also, and Jim's done good work on this, and I, uh, I want to show you, Jim, some of the things I've sh I've found on the uh, this shooter image in Zapruder film. I think there's an image of this guy on the roof having fired a shot before the car turns the corner. And I think some of the frames that are uh, missing in a couple of the films when he you know turns that corner and the film the, the frames that are missing in the Zapruder film. When he turns the corner, I think Kennedy reacted, turning the corner. Remember, Kennedy knew they were going to shoot at him. They had attempts in Miami. They had attempts in Chicago. Uh, the mob, I write about it, the, the Elkins mob warned Kennedy he was going to be shot. Kennedy knew that this was in the works. And anything in a motorcade that had any, any noise at all, even if they were firing with the silence or from the roof, anything that gave Kennedy indication shooting was happening he was going to flinch he was going to react and those frames are all gone I mean, what's the frame of the car turning the corner from the guy who was you know the who had the daughter there what what was the name of that guy who did the film Willis, Phil Willis. well Willis. I mean, all these frames are missing we don't have a clear even the Hughes film. Oh, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry I'm sorry you talking about the daughter uh, uh that Tina Towner uh, you yeah, talking about in the Towner film that he was taking, right. uh, there are frames that are burned out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. And That's those right. are the frames where the car is actually turning the corner. Turning, yes, yes. Elsie Dorman also has a little bit, as it's coming towards her, she's on the fourth floor of the, the depository. Yes. And she's got just right at the point where almost ready to turn the corner. Uh, I think those frames missing. Look, Zapruder, you know, a lot of things you can say about Zapruder, and I've, I've always wondered, you know, here's a guy who gets up with making millions of dollars from his film. Zapruder is going to take, he's going to go up there and he's going to take the pictures of the, of the car. He's got this bizarre camera where you've got to turn the film around. Okay? First thing he does is turn the cartridge around. So when the motorcade is coming around, he doesn't have to turn the cartridge. He doesn't stop and turn it while the motorcade is coming around the corner. He's got a fresh, see, those are the frames that are missing. And and there's a couple of analyses where you can actually see the burned out frames. He's taking- Underexposed also, underexposed, obviously. And he's taking, you don't have clear images of the car turning the corner, but I've seen some of the analyses where, see right here, watch, car's coming up, and then the, the frames are gone, from now he's the car's already turned. Those frames in the middle. Yeah, it jumps. It jumps. You're right. I know. I, I you're right. It jumps. 
It jumped. It jumped. Exactly. 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 Frames are gone. Now, I've, I've seen those frames burned out. Where you can see the burned out frames, but they're gone. The same frames are missing in the Zapruder film. You know, what Zapruder didn't turn his cartridge over. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. He knows this, how this camera. First thing you do, whether you finish the other side or not, you turn it over so you've got a full cartridge while the, this motorcade's coming by. Because you only got a, you know, a couple minutes of film anyway. You want to have the fresh cartridge. Right here is where uh, I think the shots can be seen. And I don't know if I can pull them up here on my computer or not because I've got this full thing. I didn't send them in advance, but I've got a couple of the frames. I don't think I can pull them up on my screen top without losing this. Um, the You can see on this figure on the roof shots being taken right around 191, 92, 93, which in the Willis and the Betzer film are the last shot taken when Willis said he heard the shot and he pressed the, sh- the trigger of the camera. Mm-hmm. And, and the Willis girl stops running. That's right, yeah. Rosemary. Rosemary. Well, in the Zapruder film, in the margins, this figure you can see with these lampposts around it appears to take a shot right at 190, 192, 193. See, that's 193. That's right at when you can see this figure taking the shot. I don't know if I can pull it up or not without losing all this. I'm, I mean, I don't know how to get back to my desktop uh, with this program running, but I've got, I've got some shots and I'll send them in to you guys so you can see them. But look, the, the first shows I want to do are the shows on the Oswald in the doorway. And if that documented so people open their minds i mean we're we're getting into some of the later shows now i'm washington bureau chief we have a studio in washington i don't mind doing these shows for a couple of years if we have to. i've been i knew jack kennedy you know, but Jack Kennedy didn't care much about a 14-year-old kid, but I was around him a lot with my dad and the other people. I was a truant from school. And the point is that from the day it happened, I'd known that in advance they were worried about it. From the day it happened, I figured it was a conspiracy, and it had to have been a conspiracy. So I've been tracking this for 50 years. Now, you guys have done... I wrote a book, and I've done some research, and I've contributed some things on the Elkins family and others, the crime families that were not generally known, as I was partly, you know, spent a lot of time with those people. Um, but the point is, I, I want you to present your research, because it was convincing to me, and I want to make the same impact on the audience that you made on me. All right, well, Mr. Corsi, we're honored to do that. We uh, measure our show by an hourglass here. We're as old school as it gets. And if you want to have any uh, closing thoughts, we're more than honored to bring our research, basically stuff that we've been screaming every day for years now. Um, 
it'll be almost like child's play, especially for Dr. Fesser and Larry and Don. And I'm going to give you as much time as you need. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Can't thank you enough. So, uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, you want to, um, your uh, closing thoughts, Dr. Fetcher? Well, it's terrific to have Jerry here. Uh, I'm very impressed. He's a very thoughtful, very knowledgeable guy, and I think he's a, uh, it's wonderful, even spectacular, that he's in this position now to make these things happen. Yeah, Don, Larry, go ahead. I have to voice the same thing that Jim has said. Uh, this has been a tremendously enjoyable hour uh, speaking to Jerry, and, and I hope that this is the beginning of a very long-lasting relationship because we have a lot of work uh, to put out. I just uh, hope that we can do it through uh, you and, and Alex and, and InfoWars and everything. I'm very, very happy and honored. Thank you. All right, close yourself, Don. Go ahead, Don. Hey, for all the haters out there that wonder what I drink during the show, it's Ozarka water. <laughs> you don't have any Mau- you don't have a Mauser back there, do you? No, I don't. No, seven point six five miles. No, I don't have a Malika Tarkano, of course. And then, <laughs> all right, gentlemen, it's been a great show. This has been the JFK show number one fifty four with Jerome Corsi. Thank you, Larry, Don, Jim, and we'll see you next week. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.